Our text for this morning is John chapter 8, verses 30, er, 31 through 38. This is the word of Almighty God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. Pray with me, friends. Lord, it is sweet to trust in Jesus. We are grateful that your mercy is greater than our sin, and we acknowledge with absolute clarity we need your mercy. Lord, as, as we study today, uh, I pray you will move in our hearts, and you'll accomplish your will. And I recognize today there's a weight to our text that we need you, your spirit, your grace, as much as ever. Help us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Second Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves... Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We believe from Scripture that a person who is saved is saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You guys agree with that? We preach that. We proclaim it to those who are lost. We plead with them to turn from sin and self so as to believe in Jesus that they might have life. We, we would die for that gospel truth. But not every claim to faith, not every claim to believe in Jesus is saving faith. There are people all over the world today who if you ask them, they would tell you that they believe in Jesus. There are people all over the world who are confident that they're just fine with God. And if you ask them some basic gospel questions, they would pass the test, right? They would check the right box on the answer sheet. They would nod their head and say yes in the right places, but their hearts are dead. They're still in their sins and they're headed for hell without true salvation. Realize, in our study of John's gospel, we've seen at least two places already where people claimed to believe in Jesus but were not actually saved. John chapter 2, 23 to 25, the end of that chapter, says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. This sounds good, doesn't it? But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. 
Back in John 2, Jesus had people believing in him to some degree. They saw the miracles of Jesus in Jerusalem. They, they were unable to deny that something special was taking place. But the way that that passage is worded shows us they did not believe in Jesus in such a way as to trust him. They did not come to him for salvation. They had a form of belief, but it did not save their souls. In John chapter 6, there was a whole big group of people who had, they had been following Jesus. They were called disciples, but they walked away from the Savior. Later in his ministry, John would write of that kind of people in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Some people look for a time like they belong to God. But they don't. Some people will live all of their lives with a misplaced confidence that they're okay with God and they will be surprised when God does not welcome them into heaven but says to them, I never knew you. You may recall in John chapter 8, Jesus has already declared himself to be God in the flesh. He's called people to come to him for life. And the religious teachers, for the most part, have been completely hostile. But chapter 8, verse 30 said, some around Jesus believed. As we pick up the study, we're going to watch Jesus respond to those who expressed belief. And we're going to see that many of them did not believe in the saving way. We'll see differences between true faith and false faith. And I want to be honest with you guys. I feel a deep weight in the task that's ahead of us this morning. I don't want to make any genuine Christian doubt or fear. Having assurance of your salvation is a good, right, biblical, godly thing. God's promise in the gospel is clear, it's clean, it's solid. Everyone who comes to Jesus Christ in faith is saved by God and kept by God. At the same time, we want to do what God's word tells us to do. We want to look at our lives in, in faith. We want to see that our faith is real, that our souls really are saved and I want to speak good news to you today if you find out your faith isn't real. You can be saved even today by grace through faith in Jesus. So, you with me in seeing the weight of this? Now, here's the thing. We're going to do this in a more teachy than preachy way. And we're going to do this in a way that is unusual for the way that I teach you typically. First thing I want to do is give you all three points that we're going to uncover. Then we'll work through the verses this week and next week, by the way. And you'll find these three things showing up over and over and over and over and over again. The first point you'll want to have is believe in the need for salvation. Believe in the need for salvation. The second one then will be believe in Jesus. Does that point surprise anybody? Shows up in John like every part, right? Because that's what the book's about. 
The third point is going to be believe God's word. And you'll hear them again, so don't feel bad if you don't have them. Those three calls for belief, believe the need, believe, believe in Jesus, believe God's word, they are going to echo through all of the passage from verses 31 to 47 about five times. And we're going to see as we address them that we mean a significant thing by the word believe. I'm going to highlight the three points in the opening verses and they'll lay the groundwork for this whole passage from 31 to 47. Look at John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus there is speaking to that crowd of people who were showing interest in him. They said they believed. And the Savior gives a little if-then statement. If you've ever programmed computers, you know that the ability to test a condition by if, if this is true, then do that. If this is true, then this is the case. That is the most powerful thing. That's what makes computers work, right? It tests things and it sees things. Jesus gives an if-then statement. If you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does it mean to abide? To abide somewhere means to live there, to make your home there. The Savior is telling this group that if they embrace his teaching, truly living in, loving his holy word, then they will know the truth. And not only will they have knowledge of the truth, but the truth will free them. So there's something here about loving the word of Jesus, following the word of Jesus, embracing the word of Jesus, that is a sign that somebody has true saving faith. And we have to assume if a person does not love and follow the word of Jesus, there is a sign that they lack saving faith. Nobody is saved here by their right actions or their wrong actions here. But the presence or lack of of love for the word of God hints to us about whether or not we have saving faith. Now, let me show you the three points in those verses. The first point was what? Believe in the need for salvation. Jesus says to the people who say they've believed in him, if you abide. Highlight the word if there. In this context, the way that the word context, the way that the word if is used, it's clearly saying that the people in front of Jesus may or may not actually be abiding so as to have freedom. There is a true possibility that the people in front of Jesus who are claiming to believe are going to turn away from him and prove that they never believed in a saving way. They have to believe it is possible for somebody to be lost. They have to get that. They've got to believe that salvation is in fact a necessary thing for people. They've got to believe that they personally need salvation. Hence, the first point is believe in the need for salvation. If you begin your look at Scripture this morning, or if you're hearing this from some recording... If you hear this and you start with a place that you don't think it's possible that a person could ever be lost, you need to think again. 
If you believe you look at Scripture this morning assuming that you must be fine with God, you're okay with God because God could never have a reason to judge you, watch out. Many people have a misplaced confidence that they're fine with God for a variety of reasons. Several come in these passages here. But if you want to be saved by God, if you want to be okay with God, you will have to begin with the knowledge that you and that all people need salvation. The second point was believe in Jesus. Verse 31 begins, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. The promises Jesus of making about freedom are for those who actually do believe in Jesus. Those who have truth, those who have freedom, are those who have genuinely believed in Jesus. The salvation Christ brings is not given to people who refuse to believe in him. Hence, point number two, believe in Jesus. And then the third point, believe God's word. Jesus also said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Thus, we need to add to any discussion of are we saved, that a belief in the word of Jesus, the word of God, is essential to testing and knowing whether you are truly saved. A true follower of Jesus trusts believes, abides in the word. Now, I'm not saying to you that your view of scripture saves you, but a true belief in scripture gives evidence of your salvation. A lack of abiding in the word of Jesus, a lack of belief in scripture, that is evidence that there's the possibility of a lack of salvation. Somebody who does not believe the Bible, care about the Bible, even like the Word of God, if they don't like the Word of God, if they don't agree with the ways and the words of God, that is somebody who probably lacks saving grace. Hence, point number three, believe God's Word. You tracking with me so far? So, the three things we're going to unpack between verses 31 and 47, and the last time I looked, they occur five times. The things we're going to unpack today and next week are believe in the need for salvation, believe in Jesus, believe God's word. Those are the, the keys to testing is there evidence of salvation, at least the keys in this passage. Now, Each of those three points begins with a particular word, right? What's the word they begin with? Believe. Okay. It is therefore important that we establish from the outset what we mean when we say believe. Because if you have a different definition of believe than what Jesus has, what the word of God presents to us, what what we see in in just a real fair understanding of biblical belief, you're going to have a problem. So I want to give you three words... I told you we're teaching today. Each of them begin with the letter A, just because I want to make your life easy. Maybe these will help you to understand what does it mean to believe. Okay, ready? Belief is going to include these three things. Um, One is assent. A-S-S-E-N-T, right? 
not ASC. You're not climbing something here. This is, this is ascent. Affections and actions. Ascent, affections, actions. Those are all present in the kind of belief we're talking about today. Ascent, that points you to mental assent, cognitive assent, acceptance, agreement. Part of belief includes that you mentally accept the fact that a thing is true. For example, if I said to you, the building's on fire, you have a mental choice to make when you get started, right? Either you believe that I am telling you a fact that is true, or, I, or you believe that I'm saying a thing that is not true, right? In your brain, you decide whether you think I'm right or wrong. That is assent. If you think I'm incorrect, if you think I'm trying to trick you or deceive you or just giving a sermon illustration, you will not believe me when I say the building's on fire. Mental assent is when you accept that the thing I tell you is true. Affections is a reference to your feelings, your emotions. If you mentally assent to the fact that there is a fire in the building, I'm going to bet for many of you, your emotions would be impacted. How many of you would believe you would have an emotional response if you really believed the building were on fire? Kelly would have emotional response. Kelly has emotional response to everything, though. It's all fine. Uh, Right? Your emotions are impacted by your belief. You might be afraid. You might be eager to change your situation or perhaps the situation of others. But there would be something weird about you if you accepted in your mind that the building was ablaze and you had nothing stir in your being. Building's on fire. That's weird, right? That tells you something's wrong. Mental assent, which changes your affections, will lead to changes in your actions. If you believe the building is on fire and your emotions are stirred with fear or an eagerness to help, you're going to do something, right? You might move outside of the building. You might help other people get out of the building. You might call the fire department. You might grab a fire extinguisher. But you will not sit still in your chair and do nothing if you genuinely believe that the building is on fire so that it even affects your emotions. The three beliefs believe in the need for salvation, believe in Jesus, believe God's word, all three of them if you're truly saved, are going to be beliefs which, yes, begin with your brain, the mental ascent on your part, but they cannot be mere mental ascent. True beliefs impact your affections and they change your actions. If you have truly believed, you're truly saved. If not, God's command for you is that you need to be truly saved by believing in Jesus Christ. So all of that, I hope, establishes where we're going 
as we examine our lives in the light of the word of God. So let's see if those three beliefs show up again with Jesus talking to this crowd. I want you to look with me at verse 33 and I want you to start thinking in this passage as you go about do I see, do I see these calls to believe here? Travis showed me them in verses 31 and 32 but Travis is often wrong. So I want to see if they're still there because I don't know about this guy. Verse 33 says, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So the people in the crowd here, they hear what Jesus just said to them. And they respond to Jesus by showing us that they've already missed one of our three points. Can you tell which of our points they've missed? Let's play interactive here for a second. Can you tell which of the three believes they don't have in verse 33? They don't see the need for salvation. We are descended from Abraham. We have the covenant promises of God. How dare you suggest that someone needs to make us free? We are slaves to no one. Now, they're not speaking of literal slavery here when they say we've been slaves to no one because, goodness, the people of Israel... They've been subjected to the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Syrians, and the Romans. But they're talking here about something that's more about their spiritual life and their spiritual freedom. This crowd says they just can't imagine, imagine how Jesus could say that they would ever need somebody to spiritually set them free. They're failing at point number one. They do not believe the need for salvation. Well, 34 through 36, Jesus is going to help here. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So for his part, Jesus responds with a little metaphor, right? Let's tell a little story that'll help you. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, Jesus says. This people in front of him, he's saying they are guilty of having practiced sin. Thus, their status has been changed. Their status is defined as slave to sin. That's their category. Then Jesus points out that in a household, if there's a family back in the first century that has household servants and slaves, the servants and the slaves, they do not inherit the wealth. No Only a son in the family can inherit. If the slave is to receive benefits from the family, if the slave is to be set free, it has to come to the slave from one who has the right to give it. The slave needs a son from the family to set them free. What's this all about? The Jews asked Jesus, why would you say we need to be set free? He says, you all have practiced sin. You have put yourself into the category of slave, slave to sin. And you're not, because you're slaves of sin, you're not sons of God. He says, if you want to be set free, only one who is the son with the status and the authority of son can set you free. Only one who is not guilty of sin can set you free. Only the son of God could set you free. Only Jesus can set them free. The first key point is that you must believe the need for salvation. And any person who can look at Jesus 
and say, why would you tell me I need to be freed? If you think to yourself, there's no way that you need to be forgiven, you're not saved. I can say that with pure confidence. The Jews couldn't imagine. How could you talk about needing to be freed or rescued? They would have never seen themselves as guilty of the kind of sin that could get you cast out of the presence of God. In fact, they assumed, hey, we're from Abraham's family tree. That means we have the favor of God. Ain't no way we're in trouble. And they were wrong. If you are to examine yourself to see if you are a child of God, start here. If Jesus were to tell you that you needed to be set free, either today or sometime in your past, if Jesus were to tell you, you need the forgiveness of God or you're in trouble, if you need to be rescued, you need to be forgiven, how would your heart respond? Maybe in your heart you would say, no way. I'm not nearly bad enough to have earned the judgment of God. I could never deserve wrath or hell. If you think like that, if you think there's never been a point in my life when I've earned that, you're not a child of God. You need salvation. Listen to the way that the Bible speaks of all mankind. In Romans 3, 10 to 18, all the way down to 23 at one point, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's word lets us know that every one of us in our lives at some point have practiced sin. All of us were moved into the category of slaves of sin and slaves of our own desires. We begin with the nature of sin that leads us to become slaves instead of sons and daughters of God. Jesus, God the Son, is the only one who can change us from being slaves to being children of God. In John 1, 12 and 13, the Bible says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Nobody becomes a child of God without realizing that he or she needs the forgiveness of God and the grace of Christ to be brought into God's family. Beautiful thing is, if you realize you need the grace of God and then you believe in Jesus, you will find that God has saved you. He has set you free from the status of slave to sin. He has adopted you into his family. He has made you free and you are free indeed. But then look at verses 37 and 38. That's all we'll get to today. Even if your pastor, when he started to plan this, originally thought he would make it to 47, he was crazy. (laughs) I know that you're offspring of Abraham. 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you've heard from your father. So for the people here who don't know that they're slaves of sin, Jesus explained, and while it's true that they are physically descended from Abraham, he's like, that does not mean you can't be guilty of sin. It doesn't mean you could never be under the judgment of God. And so Jesus shows us two ways in which they can clearly see that they are in trouble. They want to kill Jesus because they do not receive his word. Do you hear in those two things the negative sides to some of our points? What would you think wanting to kill Jesus is the negative side of? And the three believes. That doesn't sound like somebody who believes in Jesus, does it? And how about Jesus saying, you want to kill me because my word does not, is not in you. They don't believe God's word. The people wanted to kill Jesus. That does not indicate good, saving, true faith in Jesus. They don't have godly affection toward Jesus. They're not wanting to act rightly toward Jesus. And Jesus says his word has no place in that group. They reject Jesus because they reject the word of God. So as we get closer to the end of what we're going to cover today, Jesus, he's he's drawing a contrast between himself and the Jews by suggesting that they are of different fathers. While the people in Jerusalem believed, they believed themselves to be spiritually safe because of their heritage, because they were descended of Abraham, Jesus looks more to whom they actually resemble. They don't think they need salvation. They don't think they, they don't believe in Jesus. They will not receive the word of God And next week, when we go a little further, we're going to see in verse 44 that Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. I think we can say without any doubt, Jesus is telling this crowd who think they're safe before God that they are not. But our purpose today is not to do a scholastic exercise of the spiritual state of, of the crowd in front of Jesus. You and I need to look at our own lives. And I would recommend that you examine yourself with the three points. Believe the need for salvation. Believe in Jesus. Believe God's word. And remember that belief is something bigger than mere mental acceptance of the facts. Belief includes assent that changes your affections and your actions. So let's start here. Let's work on it together. Again, we're we're classroomy here. Do you believe in your need for salvation? Have you come to a place in your life where you really believe that God is holy and that you've committed sin by falling short of his perfection? And have you realized in your heart That if you don't have the forgiveness only Jesus can give, you're lost forever. If you've accepted those facts, that is mental assent in the category, believe the need for salvation. That's a good start, isn't it? But that's only a start. What about your affections? Is there a place in your life where your emotions were impacted by the knowledge of your need for salvation? Have you feared? I mean, honestly, have you ever been afraid because you were under the, the judgment of God because of your sin? 
Have you ever experienced sorrow, genuine sadness because you sinned against the God who made you? Have you wanted, desired forgiveness? Have you wanted to have the favor of God? Those things hint that your affections are impacted by what you've given mental assent to that you need salvation. Has your belief led to action? You ever had a moment where you confessed to God that you are a sinner in need of grace? You ever cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. Please, Jesus, save my soul. Have you entrusted your soul to Jesus and Jesus alone because of his finished work alone? Has your belief in the need for salvation led you to act? In evaluating your faith, just in the first believe category, believe in the need for salvation, if you've never believed that you need a Savior, you're not saved. I would urge you, believe today. How about the second point? Believe in Jesus. Start with mental assent. Do you believe the facts? This is the test, right? Do you believe Jesus is God the Son? That he's your only way of salvation? Do you believe that Jesus can and actually will forgive you of your sins if you come to him in faith? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of everyone he would save, that he rose from the grave and having conquered death? That is mental assent. Good. What about affections? Has your belief in Jesus ever impacted your heart and your soul? Do you desire to know Jesus? Do you find joy in Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you even like Jesus? Y'all, there's a big difference in believing that you need Jesus for salvation and actually caring about the honor and the glory of Jesus. There's a big difference in not wanting to go to hell and finding Jesus and his ways beautiful. To risk an illustration, when you think about Jesus, is he your ticket to heaven? Or is he the one that you want to go to heaven to see? When you think about Jesus, would you want to go to heaven if Jesus weren't there? In Exodus 33, 34, now see, I'm, I'm really going off the top of my head, so I don't remember which chapter this is in. Moses is told by God, go on up, lead these people into the land. But God says, I'm not going with you because you people are rebellious. And Moses turns and says, if you won't go up, then blot me out of your book because I'm not going either. And I once heard a preacher say, you don't go to heaven if you don't want God. Have, has your belief that you need Jesus impacted your affections? Now, I'm not suggesting to you that your emotions have got to be the same emotions as the emotions of others around you. 
Because not everybody around us expresses emotions in the same way, right? Not everybody around us feels the same high highs and the same low lows on the, uh, to the same degree. Some of y'all cry watching Hallmark movies and I don't understand. <laughs> but if you have no positive emotion toward Jesus, you should question whether or not you have anything like genuine saving faith. Let's go to actions, the third category, right? Remember, assent, affections, actions. What will believing in Jesus make you do? A saved person will have a life marked by actions focused on honoring Jesus and finding joy in Jesus. Do not be confused here. None of us, until Jesus returns, will live in absolute perfection without occasional failures. You can ask my wife and she will tell you that occasionally I fail. We try to make it a semi-annual thing. But if your life has no actions that point toward Jesus, if there's nothing in you that shows that you've changed from who you were before salvation until who you are now, then you should think twice about whether or not you're really in the family of God. Have you believed in Jesus? Does it show in your heart and your acts? If not, I urge you, believe in Jesus to be saved today. Well, what was the third test? We said believe in the need for salvation. That's one test. If that's not there, you're lost and you know it. Belief in Jesus. If that's not there, you're lost and you know it. What's the third test? Believe God's word. Ascent. Do you believe the Bible's God's word? It's perfect. It's complete. It's the revelation of God to us. It's our standard for every, everything, every faith, every practice. It is without error. It is impossible to have error. It's fully sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. It is how we get to know God. You believe that in your brain at least? That's mental ascent. Good. But what about your affection? Do you have any love for the Word of God? Do you even like the Word of God? Are you happy about the Word of God? Do you agree with the ways of God? Or are you embarrassed by what the Bible claims? Be careful if you let yourself be embarrassed by what the Lord says. When you're uncomfortable, are you quick to affirm that the word of God is right and beautiful and good even above your best thinking and your best emotions? Have your affections changed toward the Bible? If not, you may not believe the word of God. What about your actions toward the word of God? Is there in your life a change in how you behave toward the word of God? Do you actually take time to read the word of God? Do you look for ways to take the Word of God into your mind, whether it's reading it with your eyes, maybe it's listening to it with one of those audio versions, listening to to people that are talking about the Word. Is there something about the Word of God that you want and it shows that you take action to get it? Is your life shaped by the Word? Are your choices changed by the Word? If not, you might not believe the Word. And a lack of belief in the Word of God should cause you to question the state of your soul before the Lord whose word you doubt. 
Have you believed God's word? Jesus says this crowd hated him because they had not received his word. I urge you, believe God's word to believe in Jesus to find salvation. But it may be for you, and I pray this is the case today, that you do believe. Maybe you've understood your need for salvation. You've sorrowed over sinning against God. You've cried out to Jesus for grace. Maybe you do believe in Jesus so that it has changed how you feel. It's changed what you do. Maybe you believe the word of Jesus so you long to hear it and read it and obey it. Those are signs of salvation. Examine yourself today. Is your hope for your eternity in Jesus and Jesus alone? Have you believed? If so, the word of God promises you some great things. God says that everyone who's come to Jesus in genuine faith are truly, eternally, gloriously forgiven. God has stopped calling you slave to sin and has started to call you child of God. God welcomes you into his holy presence for eternity and that is really, really good news. But if you're not sure where you stand before God, I'm telling you from the beginning, the call hasn't changed. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Stop fighting against God. Stop trying to be good enough on your own. Stop trusting in your own wisdom, your own best judgment. Let go of sin. Let go of believing you get to be the master of your own life. Turn to Jesus Trust in Jesus, ask him for mercy, and he promises he'll save everyone who comes to him in faith. I want you to pray with me now, friends. Lord, I'm going to ask you, God, of course, to do with this study what your will is. But I ask this, for the genuine believers in the room, I pray that testing their belief in the need of salvation, their their belief in Jesus, their belief in your word, by seeing if their brain agrees and if their heart agrees and if their life changes, I pray that that'll be just prominent. Lord, I would pray that that you would help them to see the evidences that prove their salvation and find rest and comfort and joy. And I pray that they will not be led to doubt who don't have a reason to doubt. I don't love the potential of stirring questions in the mind of someone who genuinely wants you, who genuinely loves you, who genuinely knows you. So Father, I do pray I do pray that you will have mercy on those prone to doubt, that they would find assurance in these tests if indeed they are saved. But I would pray, Lord, that there, if there's anybody here who has a confidence in you that is unfounded, I would pray that for them you would show them with utter clarity they need Jesus.
Help them to believe in the real way that they might be saved. And I pray that this little grid that we can work through would be a tool you'll use as we think about our loved ones. We can't judge someone's final salvation. We never know what you've done in their hearts, even in the last moments. But we know this. You've given us something twice in one short passage that shows that believing that we need salvation, that believing in Jesus, that believing your word matters a ton. Help us apply it. I pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.